Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, and we're going to camp out here in what is called the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start, uh, we've got printed pay, uh, verses 6 through 13. I'm going to start with verse 9. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Would you pray with me one more time and ask God's blessing on his word preached? Let's pray. Father, by your Holy Spirit, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, open our eyes to see glorious things in your word. Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. We pray this in the name of our praying Savior. Amen. Well, this is true every Sunday. We're in Jesus' school. And we come to worship. We're in a particularly passionate area of Jesus' school here in Matthew chapter 6 because he's teaching us to pray. Something that characterized his life in ministry. Jesus, the Son of God, fully sufficient, perfect in all ways, frequently turned in prayer. He's teaching us something that's passionately part of his own life. He was a dependent man, dependent on his Father in prayer. And prayer is hard. If you've been a Christian for long, you'll quickly find this to be true. You know, prayer, with all of its benefits, is just hard. It's not hard work. It's a fairly easy thing to do, but it's hard because nothing confronts our pride in the same way as prayer. Prayer and pride can't coexist. And often I find in my own life that I don't pray as often or as fervently as I should because I'm not desperate enough. I want to take care of myself. Pride and prayer can't coexist together. And then all of a sudden I find that unbelief creeps in and crowds out prayer as well. God really doesn't care about me. And so I don't pray. These are two messages, pride and unbelief. They just scream against us the moment we begin to even think, I need to pray. So prayer is hard. It's simple, but it's hard. Children, we've defined prayer this way. We've said prayer is just simply talking to God. It's conversation. God speaks to us in his word. We respond back in prayer. It's what worship is. It's what we've been doing. It's a conversation with God. He speaks, we sing. He speaks, we pray. He speaks, we confess. Prayer is simply another facet of this, talking to God. But it's, it's hard. We often aren't desperate enough. 
So think about it this way. It's been really helpful for me. One author described prayer this way. He said this. He said, to pray is nothing more complicated. It's nothing more involved than this. To let Jesus into our needs. He goes on. Prayer is the breath of the soul. The organ by which we receive Christ into our parched and withered hearts. I love that image. Like the desperate man prays. The parched and withered heart. The prayer isn't the one of the spirit, isn't the activity of the spiritual giants. Prayer is the activity of those who are desperate, whose hearts are parched and find they need more of Jesus. And so they go to him. Come into my soul, come into my needs. I want to talk to you about this. The prayer in this way, it's defined this way, it's more than just silent contemplation. There's a place in the Christian life for silence, contemplating God's word, but that's not prayer. Prayer is making our needs known to God, our Father. I heard it said this week that prayer is the speech of the desperate person. I find that to be true. It's the speech of the desperate person. I need your help. I need you to come into these needs. And so in this way, you think about this, that prayer actually forms us too. It's not just an expression of the soul. Not only do we get to make requests to God as our Father because we are in Jesus Christ, but also God answers them. In this way, it sort of forms our unbelief to pray and ask, God, would you do this? And to see him do those things confronts our unbelief. I care about you, it says. But it also teaches us, as Jesus teaches us in his school here, how to pray. He's not just giving us something to do. He's actually shaping us with this. He's shaping our affection. These are the things you should care about in this order. The ancient church fathers would, when someone became a Christian, they came to faith in Christ, brought out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. One of the first things they would do is teach the Lord's Prayer. So the third century church father, Tertullian, said of the Lord's Prayer, it's the epitome of the whole gospel. You'll find the whole gospel in these few verses. And then the man who followed him, Cyprian, also said, called to the Lord's Prayer, he says, it's a compendium of heavenly doctrine. You want to know the whole truths of the Bible? It's here in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching us not only to pray, but by prayer, he's teaching us what we should believe and in the right order. Everything you need to know is in the Lord's Prayer. And so Jesus is teaching us as we pray how to think, how to believe. And so there are six requests, six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to look at the first one this week. Six things that Jesus tells us to ask God for. And he organizes it into sets of three. Three requests and three requests organized around two different pronouns. Are and your. The first three requests. God word. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then the second three requests. Concerning our needs, give us our daily bread, forgive our debts, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And you see what Jesus is doing here. He's like, hey, there's a priority 
to the Christian life. There's a priority to your prayers. We're made in, in sense. He's reinforcing this. You are made to have your entire life ordered around God in all of his glory, in all of his perfections. And only when your life is properly oriented around God in all of his glory and all of his perfections is it safe even to begin to pray about the other things. Because look, if God grants the first three petitions, the first three requests, the remaining three remain in their proper place. I mean, think of it. The last three seem so safe, doesn't it? Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Help us to relate to other people in a little bit better way. Deliver us from the evil one. He's out there to seek and crush us. Give us deliverance. Those seem such safe things. And as we'll see in just a second, none of these prayers are actually safe. When we get done, I hope my prayer has been that we'll no longer just go through the motions, that there will be a sense of expectation and trembling when we pray the Lord's Prayer every week. But out of all the prayers, these last three seem so safe. But if God were to grant you even the first one, the first of the second three, give us today our daily bread. And our hearts aren't oriented properly Godward, if our, 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 our minds aren't firmly set on him as a person who delights in his children who are in Jesus Christ, if our hearts aren't properly oriented towards him, food becomes the ultimate of our lives. If he's not the ultimate, food becomes the ultimate. And some of you have experienced this. You try to diet all day long and you just fail because food is the place you go for comfort. And food is the place you go for joy. And food is the place you go for celebration because food has become the ultimate. This has at least has been my experience. And so, when we begin to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be my name, and put my needs off to the side until I get a sense of the one in whom I ask, the one in whom I'm seeking, when he becomes my greatest desire then my greatest desires are met. So the first petition, the first petition is this. Our Father who art in heaven, that's the address, the introduction. Hallowed be your name. That your name would be recognized in honor. That your renown would be recognized in all the earth. That your fame would spread I mean, you think about this. This is a principle that kind of permeates all of life. What you love, you think about. And what you think about, you speak about. What you cherish, put it another way, what you cherish consumes your mind and then your heart. For instance, I love watching new grandmothers with their, their grandchildren. Pictures. Oh, here's my new... Let me show you. Have you seen the pictures of my grand... Let me tell you about my grandchild because I want you to come into the fan club of my new grandchild. What I love, I think about, and what I think about, my mouth speaks about. I mean, Facebook and, and Instagram have developed a whole business out of this principle. I want other people to get excited about the same thing that I'm excited about. Look at this amazing latte art. Click. I want you to get excited about it. Look at this amazing sunset. Click. I want you to get excited about it, too, because what, the, my, what, what your heart loves, the mind thinks about, what the mind speak, thinks about, you speak about 
and you want to bring others in. And so why, when we pray, do we first pray, Father, hallowed be your name. It's old English. It's kind of awkward language. Hallowed is it's funny. We don't use it. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure that none of you have walked around this week saying hallowed. It's old English. We borrowed it from the King James Version of the Bible. We just imported it into our current modern English translations because it's familiar language. Even if you're not a Christian, you've, you've heard the Lord's Prayer. And so we use this language. It's kind of churchy language. You might think about it this way, of, of something, when we want something to be hallowed, it's very closely related to glory in the original language. Glory has a sense of weightiness, of perfection, deep respect. We might use the word gravitas today. In fact, in the ancient Hebrew, glory and heavy and weighty are in the same word family. We might be praying, Father, May your name have gravitas, significance, weight in this world. Now, to understand what we're praying here, you've got to put yourselves in the, feet, in the seat of a first century Jew. In the first century, in the ancient Near East, the one's name was their reputation. In fact, this is true in the, in the South as well, isn't it? You, you might glory in your family name because it has weight or significance in the community. Or you might say, you know, I have shame because of my family name. And so name brings either weight or shame. And so what we're praying here, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're asking God to make much of his name. That it would have significance and weight in this world. That your fame would consume our own hearts and those around us. Spiritually, look, the conscience. We're praying, God, overwhelm us. Overwhelm us with your presence. I mean, spiritually, the conscience is over, always overwhelmed with the purity and the glory of God. This is the experience of those who come into the presence of God throughout the Bible. The otherness of God, the holiness of God, the glory of God. His presence in all of his purity overwhelms people. When Israel heard the voice of God on Mount Sinai, they didn't chum up to him and say, man, so glad you're here with us. Pull up a seat and join us for dinner. They stood back and said, Moses, speak to us. We don't want to hear the voice of the Lord over anymore. It is overwhelming to us. We cannot handle it. When Isaiah has a vision of God and the cherubim angels are covering their eyes because his glory and his holiness is so overwhelming to the pure angels. Isaiah falls down and calls curses on himself. I'm overwhelmed by you, God. When God in his glory descended on the temple, the people ran out and stood at a distance. This is what we're praying. Hallowed be your name. I want that kind of experience. That's weightiness, otherness, holiness. When we pray, we're asking God to make himself known to us in a way that overwhelms us. We are essentially praying this. That's what one author says. We're praying, may the Holy One secure before the entire world in a final and decisive way the holiness that's appropriate to his name. 
Right? This God, you deserve this. Father, your name, your reputation deserves to be regarded as holy before all the world. Let nobody else ever tritely use your name again. Let us not casually approach you anymore. Make this happen. So let's be honest. To pray this is dangerous. It's dangerous. I mean, last week we said, look, when we pray, God moves his hands, changes things. Miraculously, God, our Father, changes things when we pray. And so if we're going to pray, our Father who is in heaven, make your name holy, bring glory to yourself. There's a good chance he's going to start with me. Because this is most frequently where he works. But before we go there, and I want to dig this, I'm going to give us five things we're actually praying for. More than five, but I want to highlight five. Five things that we're actually praying for. But before we go there, I want you, I want you to notice something. Because this is so easy to overlook. This is what our hearts do. Oh, I need to bring glory to God. That's great. It is true. It is a command of Scripture. That is not what this prayer is about. This prayer is not a command. This prayer is asking God to work. Do something. Father, your name deserves to be hallowed, so help me to hallow your name. You must do this. Don't switch the, the hungry and thirsty soul's cry into a command here. This is a cry. I'm deficient in this. I need you to do something. This is your work. Work in me so that your name is kept holy. Your work in me that your reputation might be considered glorious. We're asking him to accomplish something we can't do, right? This is what a desperate part soul does. I can't do this. I'm helpless. I want you to do this. So do what I can't do. So what are we asking? Five things. Five things. First, I pray, Father, hallowed be your name. We're actually praying for conversions, right? We're praying for people to become Christians. Because God is most glorified when those who are outside of Christ are born again, given new hearts, come to Jesus Christ. Those who were once hostile in mind see God as loving and gracious. Ones who once were outside, opposed to him, see and come to him as a father. God is most glorified when he saves sinners. So he says, look, I'll make my name holy. This is what happens in Ezekiel 36. God condemns Israel for their disobedience. And he says to them, you profaned my name. You're the people who have my name. No other nation has my name. And look what you've done. You're spiritually adulterous. You've gone out and sought help from other gods and other nations instead of from me. And in doing so, you in your sin have profaned my name. He condemns them. And he says to them, look, when I get done with you, then the world will know that I am a holy God. And so what do you expect? You expect at the end of that speech, judgment, condemnation, wrath, completely wiping out his people. But that's not what God promises to do. Instead, this is what he do. I'll make my name holy. Here's how. I'll sanctify my name. Same word 
in the Hebrew as in the Greek here. I'll sanctify my name. Here is how the world will know of my glory. I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and then you'll be clean from all your uncleanliness. God's glory is most revealed in this. He shed his son's blood to wash away our guilt and shame once and for all. A plan that no man could have come up with, no woman could have accomplished, no child could have dreamt up. God did what we were unable to do at the cross. And so when the cross becomes big in this world, then the glory and the wisdom and the grace and the perfections of God are most clearly on display. You know what happened in heaven right now? Lord Jesus is on his throne, and those who have died are around him worshiping him as a lamb slain for their sins. The glory of God is most clearly seen in this. I will wash away the pollution of your sins. So if we want God's name to be made much of, if I want his reputation to spread throughout this world, then I want to bring people to Jesus Christ. This amazing picture in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul says the glory of God is most displayed in the church. And he says, he kind of hints that the angels sit around when we're gathered together like this and they're like, look at what God did. There's not a single person in there that was born this way. They were all born again by God's power. He has washed them. They're his people. They stand before him as righteous, not because of anything that they have done, but because of the righteousness of Christ given to you, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And the angels are looking around going, that's amazing. And that's what we pray. God, bring people to Jesus. Second thing we're praying, pray this. God, make me holy as you are holy. Because this is God's will. That we will have a practical experience of holiness in our lives. You want to know what God's will is for your life? I mean, that's the million-dollar question. I mean, students, you're thinking, like, i got to make a college choice and then decide who I'm going to be married. I don't want to make the wrong one. What's God's will for my life? Ephesians or First Thessalonians 4. This is God's will, your sanctification. He wants you to become like Jesus. And if I'm praying, Father, hallowed be your name. And I'm praying, overcome the sin in my life and make me more like Jesus. Prove yourself stronger than the power of sin. So if God remains a consuming fire, the gospel says to us two things, right? The one who is a consuming fire, who hates sin, dealt with sin at the cross, consumed his son, Jesus Christ, in our place. His wrath has been satisfied. He remains a consuming fire. And instead of consuming us, he consumes the remaining sin in our lives, proving that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Father, make me more like Jesus and less like the evil one. Third, and this is where it gets really dangerous. We're asking God to convict us of sin. We're asking him. We're inviting him. Expose us before you. Lay us spiritually bare expose things like pride and idolatry that offend you. Not just, the, not just the surface level sins like I'm angry 
or I'm not kind or I'm not generous. No, underneath that, God, go deep into my heart and expose me of root level things that are offensive to you. If you're going to order my life, you're going to have to convict me of sin. God's name is upheld as holy, not when he ignores sin, but when he confronts it. And then we, out of grief and hatred for our sin, turn from it back to him. Father, sanctify your name in such a way that I absolutely hate my sin because you do. Fourthly, we're praying that you, my Father, may have your way in my life. We're submitting our desires. When we pray this, we're submitting our desires to his. I'm rearranging the priorities of my heart. Again, this is what Jesus is doing. He's forming us with prayer. Like, we care about the wrong things. And so as we pray, pray in this order, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm giving you this permission. Do what you do in my life. To pray hallowed be my name means I'm submitting my comfort to his holiness. I'm praying that the greatest goal is not that my children turn out the way that I want them to turn out, but that the Father would make his name holy through their lives. Or I'm saying, don't grow my career, make your name great through my career. And if that means that I don't progress any further or make any more, if your name is hallowed, if your glory is experienced, have your way with my life, have your way with my career, have your way with my children, have your way with my comfort, just as long as the outcome is your name is renowned and receives the gravitas that it desires. And oftentimes, when we do this, when we pray this way, oftentimes we need to know this, God afflicts his people to bring glory to his name. Because his strength is made great in weakness. Because his people learn dependence through suffering. He afflicts to sanctify, he afflicts to grow in holiness. Generally, there's no, you've heard me say this, there's no progress in the Christian life unless you're going through suffering. And so I'm giving God permission, do whatever it takes. Have your way with my life. If you must afflict me, and it brings glory to your name. I know you're good. I know you love me. I know you've proven that at the cross. And so whatever I'm going to go through, as long as it brings glory to your name. Fifthly, lastly, we're praying that the Father would make us obedient to his commands. Because the law of God is an expression of his holiness. I mean, the law of God is good. It displays his purity. That's why it confronts us, because it exposes our sin. Oftentimes, that's why we don't like it. It exposes me for who I am, because it displays his purity. But if it displays his purity then a life of obedience to his command displays his character. And so when I'm praying, hallowed be your name, we're praying, may your name be regarded as holy, not just in the world, but in my life, and therefore in my heart. Make me love your laws to sing with David, who sang this. This was his song. Oh, how I love your law, O Lord. I just think about it all the time. It's the most beautiful thing. 
I can't stop thinking about it. Or to rejoice with the Apostle John who says your law is not burdensome. Or with James who calls it the law of perfect freedom. Or with Paul who calls it good in one place and holy in another. God, your your character is displayed in your law. It's perfect. Oh, give me a love for the law of perfect freedom. May I regard it as holy and good in my life. Help me to love what you love. Make me so consumed with your glory that I want to be like you in every area of my life. You see what that is? That's, that's an admission that by myself, I won't love these things. It's an admission that starts with weakness. Hallowed be your name. Do these things because I can't do them on my own. And so if God answers your prayer, buckle up. We put this on our lips every Sunday. Buckle up. God's on the move. He hears the cry of his children and always gives good gifts. So let's pray. Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Make much of yourself in our lives. Make us a people who make much of you so that what we love, we think about. And what we think about, we want others to love as well. And so, hallowed be your name. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.